Um, but speaking of small groups, uh, there's a guy that I knew through, that I still know, actually. He's still here, which is awesome. Uh, there's a guy that I know who is one of the coolest dudes I've ever known, and he's actually going to share a little bit about his testimony and kind of some stuff that he has for us tonight. So Isaac, get your butt on up here. Hello. Hi, guys. I'm Isaac. Hello. Um, so I'm, I'm here to share a little bit about how a small group affected my life last year. Um, for those of you guys who are here and like, I don't know if I want to join a small group, you should definitely do it. Because I was definitely in your shoes. I didn't want to join a small group. Um, I kind of got tricked into coming to Outpost. But um, it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. Uh, my small group leader, his name's Derek. He's not here anymore. But um, we did, yep, <laughs> Frosty. We did a lot of awesome things together. Uh, we lived life together. Uh, he really showed me the way to God. Um, but that was through, like, community, which is what you get through small group. We did a lot of awesome stuff. We pulled a lot of pranks. Um, I don't know where Ashley's at, but I think tonight's the night to tell you we put avocados on your car. So, yeah. And Rustin, also, we put avocados all over your house as well. But, um, yeah, that's one of the awesome things we did. Um, we hiked up to Horsetooth one night, and there was a mountain lion. So that was that was slightly terrifying. Um, just slightly, not not really. I wasn't freaking out at all, I promise. Yeah. And then, but yeah, uh, through it all, you really just build like a brotherhood and um, sisterhood. Um, it really, it's but it's not just all fun. You know, you get a lot of serious conversations. Um, they help you through a lot. It's really, you build a family is what you're doing. Um, so you guys should definitely join a small group. You won't regret it, I promise. You find a small group leader. You guys should raise your hand again if you guys don't know who a small group leader is. Look at them now. There's some awesome ones. Mine's right here in the front. His name's Dan. He's awesome. But every single one of these guys are awesome. So meet somebody. Uh, try to join their small group. Just even if you want to try it for the first time. Um, it's, always, it's always worth a try, I promise. It's, it will change your life in the good way. Um, but yeah, that's all I have to say. Uh, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and pray now for Brent and for tonight. Dear Lord, thank you for having this awesome community. Uh, thank you for all the new people and really just help everyone get through through the school year. Um, tonight, help Brent, give Brent the words to preach to us and and to deliver a great message and deliver your word, Lord. Uh, we really just pray that he he has an awesome sermon tonight and he gets through it and delivers us your word. All right. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Isaac. Yeah, welcome to Outpost. Uh, I am really privileged and happy to be able to share with you guys tonight. Uh, and so you're going to get to hear some of my story. First of all, my name is Brent, and I am on staff with the Outpost. My wife, Ileana, uh, somewhere here tonight. She's beautiful and also on staff with the Outpost. And uh, what's awesome is that I actually was a student here one time long ago. Uh, so <laughs> if you don't believe me, uh, you can ask some other people here. Uh, I, w I went to school here. I graduated with a degree in English and then went on staff with the Outpost. And here I am still sticking around. Uh, believe it or not, it's been 10 years now since I got involved with this group. And it really transform my life. And so Outpost is very personal to me. I, I love the Outpost, and I love this campus. 
And I want you guys to understand something, that you will always do more for love than for any other reason. So when you love something dearly and deeply, it's a greater motivation than anything else. And so that's why I'm still here. I love this campus. I love Jesus. And I get to share with you guys tonight. Nate is our captain, of course, so that makes me like the second mate or something like that. <laughs> so we're, we're looking at this series, this, this out, outside called, really Inside Out is, is sort of our title, in case you were wondering why we have that banner back there. You're like, why does it say Inside Out? I don't know. We just put up a banner that said Inside Out. No, really, it, it's, it's our title for this series, and I'll explain why we have that as our title. Another way you could call this series is the Manifesto of the King. The Manifesto of the King. Nate mentioned this last week, if you were here, that Jesus, you know, he's the most interesting, most radical, most world-changing figure in all of history, hands down. And he gives this keynote address, if you will. He gives his major speech, his Sermon on the Mount, and he, he explains who he is as king and what his kingdom is like. And it, it's important that we understand a couple things about king and kingdom. So I'm going to define those really quick for you guys. King, I mean, I know that we're not familiar with kings. We don't live in a country ruled by kings. Uh, in fact, this country hasn't been ruled by a king for several hundred years. But a king is very different than a president. For instance, you don't vote for ki a king, right? Like if someone's a king, they inherit their kingdom and they're the king whether you like it or not. And that's very important to understand because Jesus, see, Jesus is not on the throne that he's on today because of his popularity. It's not because we voted him in. It's simply because he's always been king. And Jesus will always continue to be king. He always is. He just is. That's the way it is. And what's also interesting about a king is if you oppose the king, it's different than our political system. You know, if you oppose a political party here, it means you just belong to a different political party. But if you oppose a king, that actually makes you a rebel, right? That makes you rebellious against that king's authority. And so that's just really important for us to understand tonight. And, and you'll understand as I unpack this, this message why that matters. Now, secondly, you've got to understand what is a kingdom? A king obviously has a kingdom. That makes sense, right? What is the kingdom of God or the kingdom of Jesus Christ like? Is it external? Jesus would teach us that it's not. It doesn't have a geography, right? It doesn't have borders that you can point to. Here it is and there it's not. There's no one particular race that belongs to his kingdom. It's not uh, ruled or, or held in power by a military, right? He doesn't have a strong force, a strong army keeping him in rule. It's a kingdom that is based within you. Jesus, in different places in the Gospels, will say the kingdom of God is in you, or the kingdom of God is upon you, or the kingdom of God is at hand, or it's here. And so he's pointing at this, this fact that the kingdom of God is more internal than it is external. The kingdom of God is actually, in fact, more of a character than it is something to be obtained. It's more of a character. It's, it's who you are that defines what you do. Jesus understood this. And so that's why our series is called Inside Out. Jesus is going to look at the inside, and he's going to flip it outside. He's going to expose what's inside your heart. 
He's going to expose what's inside your deepest thoughts. He's going to show you who you really are inside. And that's what he's concerned about. So that's what we're concerned about tonight. We're going to look at that. So as we continue our sermon series on Inside Out, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. And you don't have to turn there because it's one verse, and you can just read it on the screen if you'd like. Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. That's our text tonight. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Very interesting, right? Nate talked last week about those who are blessed because they're poor in spirit. It says, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And he talked a lot about what does that poor mean? It means poverty. It means those who don't have anything. They're dependent on God. Well, Jesus is continuing, and each week we're going to look at a different one of these verses, and it will explain to us a character. Jesus is unveiling the character of those who belong to the kingdom of God. And he's saying, if you're part of the kingdom of God, you are a mourner. You're sorrowful. And because you're a mourner, you will be comforted. And because you're going to be comforted, you're blessed. Or another way of translating that is happy. Like, happy are you who mourn. That's a paradox. Really, it's not because you're a mourner that you're happy. Right? Because that, that totally is inconsistent. It's because you're comforted that you're happy. Because you have this kind of character, that is where true happiness is found. So understand something. Christianity is not about feeling sad and, and you know, being downcast and drudgery. And, you know, some of you might have grown up in the church in a church background where going to church felt like a task. It was like a chore that you were required to do every week to check off on a list. And that is completely opposite of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God emphasizes this one word, happiness. Jesus is after you experiencing true happiness, and he's explaining how we're going to obtain that. So tonight, let's look at how can we be people who are happy because we mourn, therefore we're comforted. Let's look at what does it mean to mourn. We all mourn for various reasons, hurts, pains, and tonight, get ready guys, because we're talking about pain. So I know that this is going to be, I'm going to, this is going to be a really personal subject tonight. I'm going to share a lot from my story. I'm going to share a lot of stories tonight, but I really believe the Holy Spirit wants to make this very personal to you. This is a subject that obviously we all have in common. Not one of us here tonight can say, I've never felt hurt. Not one of us here tonight can actually say, I've never hurt someone else. And so we are all in the same boat. We're all equal tonight before Jesus' words. And so we all have a reason to really listen to what Jesus is saying and he's speaking to us tonight. So what kind of mourning is Jesus after? You know, there's m- people who mourn uh, sometimes for reasons they don't even understand. We call that depression, right? When you're just mourning and you feel grief, but you don't even know why. Some of you are going through that tonight. Some of you are experiencing that. Some of you have been through that and are no longer in that. Is that what Jesus means when he's talking about mourning? Well, to get a clear answer, let's look at Jesus' life. Let's look at the king. Because the king always exemplifies the kingdom. He's always going to show us that character. If you want to know how to have character that belongs to the kingdom of God, just look at Jesus. And here's what we understand about Jesus. The book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, prophesies about Jesus Christ. And this is what he says. He will be a man of sorrows. 
that will define him. In the Gospels, the shortest verse in the Bible, in fact, is this, Jesus wept. Another verse in the Gospel of Luke says Jesus, he was approaching the city of Jerusalem where he knew he was going to be betrayed and killed. And it says he looked at the city and he wept. In Hebrews, the, the letter written most likely by the Apostle Paul, he writes that Jesus was heard by the Father because of his strong cries and his tears. Jesus was a man who was sorrowful. He was sad. Now, we need to really ask the question, why? Like, why was Jesus sad? There's three reasons why Jesus was sad. Firstly, and this is the obvious one, Jesus cared. But there's something very profound about this fact that Jesus cares. He cares so much, he wants to intervene in your life. He didn't just intervene in human history, although he did do that 2,000 years ago. He intervened. He interjected his life into this world. He came into this world and entered it. He had a public ministry. He, he preached to crowds. Multitudes of people followed him and flocked to him. But he's here tonight to intervene in your life because he cares. And it comes right against this value that your generation has. I've seen it a lot here on campus, which is this. I hear this all the time. You do you. You just do you. You be you. Hey, man, that's good for you. Good for you. Good on you. Just don't interfere with me. And that, really, we could call that tolerance, right? An attitude of tolerance, I want to submit to you tonight, is not love. An attitude of tolerance is actually closer to hate than love. Do you know why? Because love cares, Love is not content with you to just ruin your life. Love doesn't say, just do you. Love says, I care too much about you and your future to let you continue living like that. So I'm going to intervene. I'm going to interfere. I might confront you. And our generation, I understand, the generation that you live in now is afraid of con confrontation. But the thing is, Jesus was not because he wanted to save you. He was more concerned about saving us than offending us. And that's very important for us to understand. Back in the book of Genesis, in the beginning of your Bible, you'll read the account of the first brothers, the first biological brothers in the human race, Cain and Abel. Some of you may be familiar with their story. You know that Cain committed the first act of violence in human history. In fact, he murdered his brother Abel, and God confronts Cain after this murder has taken place. Cain was envious of Abel. And his envy led to violence. God says, Cain, where is Abel? Not that God didn't know where Abel was, but that he wanted Cain to, to confess. And this is what Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? Like, am I responsible for him? And I feel like that's the, that, I hear that sentiment in, in your generation. Am I my brother's keeper? What is it to me what they do? Just let them do their thing. But Jesus comes in the opposite spirit, and he says, I am your keeper, and he treats you like a brother. He says, I'm watching out for you. I'm coming for you, and that is why he mourned. Secondly, Jesus mourned because he lost something precious. How many of you have ever lost something very, very valuable? Yeah, you're not, you're not like, oh, big deal, whatever. <laughs> you're flipping over the couch. You're looking under every bed. You're looking under corners of the, the house you've never seen before. You're searching like frantically to find what you've lost. The more valuable something is, and when it's lost, the, the more it hurts 
to be separated from it. And the truth is that Jesus has been separated from us in a broken relationship. You know what's interesting is when I'm on a campus and I'm sharing about Jesus, or even in the city of Fort Collins, and I'll just be, you know, I'll bring up Jesus with people in the grocery store. I'll do it in McDonald's. I'll do it wherever I'm at. And a lot of times I get this strange reaction. When I bring up the name of Jesus, people get really awkward. Like they're, they're like, uh, uh, uh. sometimes they'll, they'll pretend like they can't hear me. <laughs> I'm like, no, you just heard me. You say, I, heard, I said Jesus. Uh, they'll like cough. They'll, they'll just act weird. <laughs> and sometimes, some of you might have experienced that as well. You know what's interesting is um, that is exactly the response you get when you ask somebody that's recently broken up in a relationship, like how do they talk about their ex? It's usually really awkward. We had this friend, Ben, he was part of Outpost a while back, and Ben seemed to always ask guys about their girlfriends at the wrong time. And he asked this guy, John, he goes up to John, he says, John, how's, how's so-and-so? And John is like, um, actually, we, we just broke up this morning. <laughs> and Ben was like, oh, I'm sorry, man. <laughs> And he, obviously, there was an awkwardness. But why? Why is there an awkward? There's an awkwardness. This is amazing because there's been a broken relationship. And some of you tonight, Jesus is kind of a foreign thing to you. Some of you have been around Jesus and grown up around him. But some of you, this is really different. And what I want to submit to you tonight is that in each one of our cases, there's been a broken relationship. There's been a breakup, if you will, and it's awkward. And that's really a, a huge, significant reason why Jesus mourns, because he longs for relationship with you. The cross, you know, we all know Jesus was crucified, and that's how he died. But have you ever considered the cross? Have you, have you ever pondered or meditated on what the cross really means? Have you ever asked yourself, why did Jesus die that way? Why, why a crucifixion of all things? Like, if he really is God, if he is the Son of God, why the crucifixion? And I want to uh, dive into that tonight. But one of the things we need to understand is this. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ was the most hurtful event in human history. Jesus Christ was innocent. You know, none of us can really, really claim to be innocent, but Jesus could. From the moment he opened his little baby eyes until the moment he closed them in death, he was innocent. He never intentionally, willfully hurt another human being out of selfishness. He treated women with dignity. For some women, he was the first man in their lives to touch them in purity. He, he gave them, he elevated their status, their worth. Children were drawn to him. I have two kids. They're three and two years old. And this is interesting. Kids are not drawn to everyone. There are certain people my kids refuse to hug. <laughs> Sorry if that's any of you guys. The, but really, there's certain people that they, they're reticent to go up to, but then there's some people they're drawn to. Isn't it interesting? Jesus was someone who drew children to him. They ran to him. So there was a gentleness. There was a humility in him. He was someone who stood for the truth no matter what it cost him. He was totally brave courageous, fearless. That's Jesus, that good, perfect man. Here he is on the cross being crucified between two criminals. 
that's going to cause us to pause for a second. Like, why is that happening? And here's, here's the kicker. Jesus is going to tell us, you and I have a personal stake in his death. Like, it's happening because of you that he's up there. It's happening because of me. Right? And so the cross is deeply personal, and it's meant to reveal something to us. Thirdly, this is the reason why Jesus mourned. Jesus mourned because he was not a mere man. Your hurt cannot add anything to my suffering. Right? Like, your suffering, we could each all be suffering in different things, and, and we are. Different hurts that we all have. But your hurt doesn't add anything to my hurt. I can empathize with you. I can, I can kind of relate to you. I can understand maybe what you're going through a little bit, but I can't, I can't carry your hurt. But here's the thing. God feels your hurt. God experiences your hurt. When you hurt, God experiences that too. That's the kind of relationship God has with us as his creation. He knows exactly what your hurt feels like. Not only that, but when you hurt others, it's as if you're hurting God. So you may never have given Jesus a second thought in your life. But if you've hurt other people, in fact, you have hurt the heart of God. And so the cross is also not just the most hurtful event in human history. It's the most honest event in human history. Why is it honest? Why is it honest? A lot of times we don't understand the weight and gravity of our actions and so we see their effects on others, right? It's a lot of times you, you might think something's not a big deal or really not that bad. But when you see the effect of your choices and what they have on others, it gets your attention. How many of you know somebody with a tender heart or a large heart, right? Probably your mom, most of you, right? What is it like when you hurt somebody that has a, a very tender heart? It's very painful, very painful. The more tender a person's heart is, the greater the capacity they have to hurt. Jesus Christ has the most tender heart in the whole universe. And therefore, he has the greatest capacity to experience pain. And so when Jesus Christ wanted to reveal to us, not, not just to them, but to us today, to you, when he wanted to reveal to you personally what hurt feels like to him, he chose crucifixion on a cross. He chose to be crucified to reveal to you the broken heart of God. That is what his heart feels like by your sin. And that's a, that is a staggering thought. You know, I, when I went to college here, my sophomore year, I was not a Christian. I was living completely for myself. I was trying to run away from my morality that I had been raised in. I was rejecting my upbringing. I had two parents that loved Jesus. Still to, they still do to this day. I had everything going for me in my life, and yet I became bitter. I had hurt, like we all do, and I allowed that hurt to become bitterness until it became a bitter root inside my soul, and it grew, and it grew. And I became angry at God. And I remember my sophomore year of college, I was in my apartment. I was in my room. And I thought, you know what? I'll give this Christianity thing another shot. And I opened my Bible. 
I tried reading it, and it was incomprehensible to me. My heart was so hardened. The Word of God is like a mirror. It really reveals the status of your heart. And for me at that time, I was so angry at God. I slammed the Bible shut, and I cursed God in that moment. I said, You're, praying to you is like talking to the wall. Nothing. Literally, that was the, that's where my heart was. Cursed God. Ashamed to be, to be associated with Christians. Ashamed that anyone would know that that was my background. I was trying to get rid of it. I didn't realize the gravity and the weight of that at the time. To me at the time, it was just the words of a bitter young boy crying out. But what I did end up realizing through the cross and the crucifixion of Jesus is what those words did to him. It, it's what those words did to him. It's what my actions did to him. That got my attention. And when I realized that I had hurt God, that broke my heart. My hard heart finally broke. And that's really the only way that happens. That's why Jesus says, blessed are you who mourn. Because mourning is honesty, right? Some of you tonight, you've never really considered how you may have hurt God. Like, you've never really considered the effects that your life, your decisions, the way you've lived have had on God. I have a daughter. She's three years old. So precious. So precious to me. And uh, something that, for me as a father, I have to tell you guys is, is the thought that my daughter, for instance, would ever be involved in something harmful to her is very, very painful to me to even consider or entertain that thought. I used to, in college, at, I had an addiction to pornography. And something that, I've, that Jesus has since revealed to me is that back then, I didn't realize this, but those were somebody's daughters. Like, that's somebody's daughter. So when you think that's just a secret sin and, you know, that's not hurting anybody, you've got to realize something. You're participating in this painful thing that is literally leading to the crucifixion of Jesus. It's, it's like his heart is, is just wrenched inside him. And as a father, I can tell you of my daughter that if she were ever involved in something like that, I would rather not live than, than have that be the case. Now, some of those women involved in, in uh, prostitution and pornography, they don't have fathers that care, but they do have a father in heaven who is the greatest father. And his heart, again, breaks more intensely than any other. And that's the revelation of the cross. That's the revelation. That's why Jesus died, is to show that, to bring that home to our hearts, to get us to wake up. Now, the next thing we need to look at in this passage is what is comfort? What does it mean to be comforted? We understand, okay, mourning is mourning for sin. It's mourning for how we've hurt others, how we've hurt God. But what is this comfort that God promises? First of all, if you go to the next slide, comfort is the end of mourning. It's interesting that Jesus does not intend for you to mourn forever. In fact, hurt is never meant to be your final destination. You're not meant to limp through this life with pain and sorrow and suffering that's never healed. Jesus never intends that for you. And he brings comfort into your life to end mourning, to bring a stop to it. 
right? That's his desire. Secondly, comfort is a person. Jesus, when he describes the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, the triune God, the Holy Spirit, he says, I will send a comforter to you. He's talking to his disciples. I will send a comforter. Get this, the word comforter is the same word for comfort that Jesus is using in this beatitude. Blessed are you who mourn, for you shall be comforted by the comforter. You'll be comforted by the companionship of Christ. How many of you have ever experienced doing something very difficult, but doing it with someone close to you, and it was actually a lot easier going through it, right? It's so much easier to endure hardship alongside a brother or a sister or a true friend. Jesus promises not a ceasing of hardship, for there will be many. There will be many more hardships to come in your life. But he does promise a companionship that will never leave you. And that is, in fact, true comfort. The companionship of God, you could think of it this way, the abiding presence of Jesus Christ inside of you. That's what he promises in comfort. And finally, the third comfort, the third way that he's going to comfort us is he's going to comfort you after you mourn over hurting him. Now, you've got to think about that for a second. We have no right to be comforted, really, at the end of the day, We don't deserve this comfort. And so comfort is pure grace. Comfort is pure grace. It's a gift from God. It's unmerited. Like We don't deserve, after we've mourned for our sin, to be comforted. Yet God longs to comfort you. He longs to bring comfort into your heart. That comfort, that end to the pain. So let's talk about grace. What is grace? I've I've got a bag here suitcase. Many of you came to college with one of these. Some of you came with too many of these. I know because I helped you move in, some of you. <laughs> one, <laughs> actually, one, one family, Dylan and Jacob helped move in. They had brought, I think, a washer and dryer. <laughs> so, you know, some, some of you really did bring too much stuff. <laughs> and you're like, Mom and Dad, please take this home. But y- here's the thing. You also all brought something else. Not a physical bag, but I'm going to demonstrate it with this bag. You all brought hurt. You brought your hurt, and you brought the hurt you've inflicted on others. Every single one of you has a bag just like this. And a lot of people don't know it. (laughs) Like a lot of people probably don't know the specific hurts in your heart. The, the, The really painful details that you don't tell people. And they probably don't know a lot of the ways that you've maybe hurt others. Those times that you regret, that you feel guilty, that you feel shame for. Here's, here's the thing. We're all a mix of both. We're victims and we're felons. Uh, we're perpetrators and we're innocent. We're, we're, we've, been, we've been afflicted and we've afflicted others. And so you've got this weird scenario. Like, where is justice going to be served? Because... We have a longing, like we have a need to be healed. I hope you all know that tonight. Each one of you is not meant to carry the hurt in your heart. You've got a longing and a need to be healed emotionally. You've got a longing and a need to be healed mentally. There's a need, a deep need inside of you to be healed. But then at the same time, what of justice? Your demand for justice about the hurt against you 
comes back to you. And, and the answer, and the question is, well, what about you and the things that you've done? And so we're stuck in this dilemma. Who's going who's gonna to help us? Who will lift us out of the, this pit of despair? Who will actually lend a helping hand? Who can sort out the, the mess between the hurt that you've caused and the hurt that's been done to you? We must appeal to the king. And this is amazing. The one we appeal to is the one we've hurt the most. But he is also totally good. And this is what I mean by the grace of God. God longs to take away your hurt no matter how much wrong you've done to others. God longs to give you grace. God, he's so eager. I can't even express it in words how much his heart desires to heal you and to lift your burdens and to take away your pain and to take away and end your suffering and to forgive you. You see, grace is this. It's forgiveness of your sins and it's healing of your hurts. That's the grace of God, powerful enough for both. You see, this is what happened on the cross. All the pain of the world fell on the shoulders of this man, the Son of God, more than a man, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. All the pain in all the world, all the pain that you've experienced collectively in your life, multiplied by every human being who has ever lived, was placed on his shoulders, and he absorbed it all. And rather than rebounding that pain back to you, as we so often do to one another, Jesus absorbed it like a sponge and then carried it away. The Bible in the Old Testament, it, it, it talks about sacrifice in this way. What would happen is the Israelites would place their hands on a goat, and they would place their sins on the goat. They would place their hurt on the goat. And it was known as the scapegoat. And they released the goat outside the walls of the city, never to be seen again. They didn't have to worry about where the goat went. It was just gone. And in the same way, that pain, all that suffering, Jesus longs to take that away. And it's been, in a sense, in a real sense, he's taken that on himself on the cross. And he's absorbed it. It's never to come back to you again. Right? There's a Christian apologist. His name is Ravi Zacharias. And he speaks regularly on secular university campuses. He speaks uh, to militant atheists. He speaks to uh, people all around the world, skeptics, Hindus, Muslims, people of all sorts of different backgrounds. And he was at this conference that they were having uh, between a couple of leaders of Hamas, if you're familiar with them, actually a terrorist organization from Palestine. And it was Ravi Zacharias and the Archbishop of Canterbury. And they were sitting together having discussion. The goal of this night, this evening, was to have a dialogue and hopefully promote some kind of connection between them. And Ravi asked the sheikh, one of the founding members of Hamas, who has committed unspeakable atrocities, genocide, terrorism, in the name of jihad, holy war. He asked the sheikh, how do you justify your actions? And the sheikh gave him a response. It wasn't very satisfying. And this is what Ravi said. He said, Sheikh, you believe in the story of Abraham, as do I. In the story of Abraham, Abraham goes to offer his son. He says, Sheikh, you think it's Ishmael. I believe it's Isaac. It doesn't matter. The point is, in this story, Abraham goes to offer his son, and before he sacrifices his son on an altar, 
the angel of the Lord stops him, and God speaks to Abraham and says, Abraham, stop. I will provide a sacrifice. And this is what Ravi said to this, to this terrorist. He said, shake until you receive the offering for sin that God has provided in his son, Jesus Christ. You will continue to offer your sons and daughters on the battlefield of holy war. You see, Jesus is the offering for sin, the only thing that will really take away your hurt. And we, we know and understand this, wounded people wound other people. You will continue to wound people. Even it almost seems like you can't help it. You can't help but hurt other people. And if that's true of you tonight, I have great news for you. The king gets the final word. You know how sometimes when we hear Jesus is the king, that kind of rubs us the wrong way. Like, uh, he's the authority. He's, he's the boss. Like, I don't like that. I don't like someone being in control. But the, here's, the, here's the thing. Him being the king means he gets the last word. It means when he pronounces you forgiven, no one else can say anything otherwise. When the king says you're forgiven, it's the last word. And it's, it's, it's a greater word than even your, your emotions. You see, you might, you, might, you might be thinking, I don't deserve that. How could, somebody, how could Jesus forgive me for the wrong I've done? How could I possibly be forgiven? But he gets the last word. He's the king. And the king, this is the good news, he's so good. I want to talk about the grace of God really quick. The grace of God is powerful enough to overcome heredity. Some of you have inherited things in your life. You were just born with pains, physically, emotionally. I have a friend, he grew up in a family of alcoholics. He had alcoholics going back generations. You know, they just seemed to have inherited alcoholism. It, it just, it marked, it ruined his, his family. It defined his family. His dad became a believer in Christ in college. And his dad really was healed from alcoholism. And that began a moment in that generation, in that time, in that family where grace changed their destiny. And my friend is no longer a slave to alcohol, nor will he ever be, because his father had the grace of God intervene in his life. What I'm telling you tonight is some of you are, are thinking, you've got parents that have hurt you in ways you can't even talk about. You've suffered abuse. That's real. You've suffered, some of you might say, some of you girls might say, I never want to be like my mom. I just hope when I'm a mom, I'm never like my mom. Some of you might be saying that tonight. Some of you guys might be saying that about your dad. You might be saying, I hope I'm never like my dad. I hope I never end up repeating the things that he did, the, the ways that he hurt me. Some of you might be thinking that tonight. And I want to tell you something. The grace of God can come into your life in a moment tonight and totally change your destiny. You're not bound to repeat the sins of your parents. You're not bound to, to fall into the, the things that you've inherited. You're not bound to repeat. Some of you have come from broken homes. Your parents separated, and you're wondering, will I ever be able to have a marriage that lasts? The grace of God is powerful enough to give you a marriage that lasts. It can intervene in the worst things that you inherit. Secondly, the grace of God can overcome your hurt. It can overcome your hurt. 
I heard this story once about uh, a young boy, or he, he grew up, and he had suffered abuse. His dad was abusive, and every night when his dad would abuse his mother, him and his siblings would hide under their bed. And years later, he ended up giving his life to Christ, and there was really this profound moment where Jesus showed him something. Jesus showed him that every time he was under his bed, Jesus was under the bed with him. Every night, every time he was listening to the abuse and, and, and hearing it, and it being repeated again and again, is that awful, awful torture going on in his home. Jesus Christ was in the middle of it. He wasn't on some throne in heaven millions of miles away. Jesus Christ was there hurting with him, and the grace of God intervened in his life. This young boy was healed from that abusive past, knowing Jesus Christ. Finally, this is so good, guys. The grace of God overcomes your sin. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. This story is amazing. There was a man, uh, he, he's really uh, close to us in our ministry. He's a big deal in Chi Alpha nationally. And he, uh, he actually had a history of, of not being a Christian. And like so many of us, he became a Christian in college. And when he became a Christian, he carried around a lot of shame in his life because of how he lived his life before being a Christian. And he had committed sexual immorality. Like he had had a lot of sexual relationships with a lot of different women up to that point in college. He had slept around a lot. And he felt all kinds of shame inside him because he didn't know what to do with that. He, he thought, I've got all this pain realizing what I've done to these women and, and I, knowing that they're walking around somewhere out there with this shame and I, I have no way to undo that. And this is what Jesus did. Jesus said, write down every name of every woman that you have brought shame to because of your sin. And he wrote it down on a list, on a piece of paper. And he, he's, this is what God said, go to a lake. And I want you to just set that piece of paper on the water. And, and, and it just washed away. And he watched this paper float out from the shore. And eventually it began to sink into the waters and then be seen no more. And this is what God said to him. Just as that paper is no more, so I forgive you and pardon you. So those sins are no more. That's the grace of God. And again, we've all got a bag. It's very, very heavy. Every one of you, even if you grew up in a good home, a beautiful home, you've all got this bag that you carried to college. This is my goal tonight, that you empty it. And this is the only way that's going to happen, okay? I'm going to invite you, and I, I, want, I would like to have the worship team come back up. I'm going to invite you up to the front, this grass area up front here. Nothing special about it except this. I want you to, to make an act of honesty. Remember how I said the cross is the most honest event in human history? Like it shows us the reality of how, how much sin hurts others. It hurts the heart of God. This is what God requires of you, to be honest. He just wants you to be honest. And when you're honest and you say, God, like, I'm wrong. I admit it. I'm wrong. You're right. Your heart will break and you will mourn. You will mourn over your sin. Some of you tonight, you may have grown up Christian your whole life and never really mourned over your sin. And so this is an invitation to come up tonight and mourn because Jesus is saying, happy are you who mourn for you shall be comforted. 
And as you mourn over your sin and you release that to God and confess that to him and say, God, I have wronged you first and foremost, and I have wronged others. As you tell him that honestly and confess that to him, this is what will also happen. Jesus will also reach in the bag and all the hurts and the things that people have done to you, those memories that you can't shake, they just keep coming back, will be healed like that. I'm not kidding. When I, when I was praying over, over tonight, I got the image of a lightning strike, lightning striking a weather vane. And just as lightning can suddenly flash into our lives, that's, that's how quickly the grace of God can work to unpack this bag. It's not going to have to take 20 years of counseling to be free from these things. It's not going to take medication the rest of your life to, to hobble through life. It's not going to take just getting by any longer. I'm inviting you, and, I've, and I, when I was praying, guys, I'm serious. I, I felt the heart of God break as I was praying over you guys tonight and over this message. I believe Jesus is going to meet you. Will you come up front and meet him? And if you're scared of doing that tonight, would you just grab the hand of somebody who brought you here? Maybe a small group leader or a friend or somebody that you trust. If you're scared of coming up alone, would you grab somebody's hand and ask them to come up with you? And we're just going to pray and we're going to worship during this time. And I'm going to pray over you and we're going to experience God healing your hurts. So after I finish praying, why don't you just come up to the front, come up to this grass area, bow down and unpack your back. Just let Jesus empty it completely. Father God, I thank you for this divine moment for the grace of God to intervene in our lives, Jesus. God, to heal things we thought we'd never be healed of. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that depression be healed. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that that suicidal thoughts be healed right now in the name of Jesus. I pray that self-loathing be healed, anxiety be healed in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that bitterness be removed in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that, that sin be forgiven in the name of Jesus Christ. That things, the shame that some of us have been carrying for years be washed away in the name of Jesus Christ. Let it be real to us tonight, Jesus. I just let, I'm going to let you take over. Lord, you just take over. It's your show. It's your thing tonight. It's just all about you, Jesus. It's all about you, Lord. We, we want your comfort ultimately at the end of the day. Yes, we will receive your comfort, but God, we want your heart to be comforted by our connection to you, by our being healed. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you just come right now?